going to um, call up again um, a friend, a good friend, and just an awesome brother in the Lord, Dano McCollum. Come on up, Dano. You know, you get a microphone and you just want to use it. No problem. I just want to read you a few of my... uh, few of my favorite quotes from some of the healing trainers of the past. F.F. Um, Bosworth, how many are familiar with F.F. Bosworth? He wrote a book called Christ the Healer, and uh, he was one of the trainers that worked with, uh, with John G. Lake and then later with uh, Gordon Lindsay's team as well. But uh, he said, why do some not receive healing? And the first thing he said was insufficient instruction, ignorance of the healing work of Christ. So that really is a huge part. Um, One of the things I really enjoyed when I was studying historical healing revivals, uh, one of the things that was very interesting is that when John G. Lake would do crusades, he would typically, healing crusades, he would typically have somebody speak in the morning on how to receive healing, And then he would have uh, someone in the afternoon uh, that would actually teach about how to keep your healing, how to walk in the healing blessing. And then in the evenings, they would do the healing, uh, the healing messages. And and so they really prepared people and they really instructed them in a whole uh, gamut of how to just walk in the fullness of the healing. So he said insufficient instruction. Then he said community unbelief. Remember how Jesus came uh, into the town and, and could only do a few miracles. <laughs> so he wasn't limited he, as far as he was still able to do miracles. But what God really wanted to release uh, could not be released in fullness because of community unbelief. So atmosphere does make a difference. Um, it talks in the scripture about Jesus saying uh, that the power of the Lord was present to heal that he discerned the power of the Lord was present. What is that talking about? Well, there's a difference when healing is in the atmosphere and when it's in the believer. Like, it works both ways, but when it's in the atmosphere uh, is oftentimes when we just have these huge outbreaks of uh, everyone getting healed, those kind of things, and, and developing that sensitivity to community uh, faith and community expectation is really huge. And then he said traditions of men. Um, and these are some of the things that Carol teaches on so well. People who believe that God is the author of sickness, that we can glorify God more through patient enduring than through healing, that the age of miracles is past, that it's not God's will will to heal everybody, or the prayer, if it be thy will, uh, that God gives us thorns in the flesh, that Jesus healed as the Son of God, but not as the Son of Man. All these are traditions of men, bad theologies. And when these things are taught, they have to be overcome many times for uh, healing breakthroughs to occur. And then he says, and again, this is F.F. Uh, F. Bosworth from Christ the Healer. Fourthly, he says, breaking natural laws. Breaking natural laws. Um, so, obviously, we know that uh, <laughs> we know that not taking good care of our temples can result in uh, in sickness and in breakdowns and things like that. And then unbelief in elders and leaders that there can also be a corporate 
uh, a corporate thought about healing, about breakthrough that can restrict um, the healing and thing. We definitely don't have that in this room <laughs> or in this church. And then because of evil spirits that have to be cast out, um, that's his number six. And then seven, uh, regarding iniquity in your heart, a direct act of sin or de- of disobedience or of unforgiveness, bitterness, grudges, uh, wrongs unrighted, mistreating your wife, husband, or children uh, can hinder your prayers. So regarding iniquity in your heart, eight is limited expectations, uh, that it must happen a certain way, uh, that healing can only happen instantaneously, uh, looking at a man's gift rather than God. Uh, these things can uh, create a limited expectation. And then nine, focusing on your symptoms. Uh, this is this one is so interesting. Um, I was doing a healing meeting with a, a young man, and uh, we were praying for someone. And he said, uh, "We were praying for someone." We, I said, "Now check it out." And uh, he checked it out, and he goes, "There's still pain there." And the young man who was with me goes, "That's because you're still looking for the pain." He goes, look for the healing. Don't look for the pain. Look for the healing. And so uh, we prayed again. And this time he looked for the healing. And he was instantly, it's all gone. Like it's, it's totally gone. But see, what he was looking for, his expectation was for the pain. And you know, sickness and pain can condition you. They can train you. And so you have to uh, not focus on the symptoms, but again, focus on the healing. And then 10, failure to act uh, on your faith. So these are 10 things that he felt like uh, can restrict people uh, from receiving healing. Again, all these things can just be overthrown by the anointing, the goodness of the Lord, the love of the Lord, but they are things that we want to remove. And I feel like Carol really has the best resources I've seen on removing most of these, in, uh, these restrictions that we just listed. But insufficient instruction, number one, Community unbelief, number two. Traditions of men or bad teaching, that's number three. Uh, Breaking natural laws, number four. Unbelief in elders and leaders, that's number five. Uh, Evil spirits, number six. Regarding iniquity in your heart, number seven. And that that includes unforgiveness, bitterness, grudges, uh, mistreating family members. Uh, Number eight, limited expectations. Again, that something has to happen a certain way. And uh, nine, focusing on your symptoms. And ten, failure to act on your faith. So a couple things that we want to make sure we're removing out of the way when we're acting. Now, it's also important that we don't accuse people of these things when we're ministering to them. All right? That's really important. Why? Because uh, 1 Corinthians 13 makes it totally clear that we need to be acting in love. All right? That the gifts... The power has to act in love. Uh, As a matter of fact, I love the way Galatians says it. It says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And so um, the only thing that counts is not only the faith expressing itself, but also that it's expressing itself through love. And I really think that that sums it up, that we are taking responsibility for what's happening. We're loving the individual. We're ministering to the individual. Because ultimately, if someone doesn't get healed and then you blame them or accuse them or you're pointing to some limitation in their life, then many times they go away unhealed and discouraged. That's quite a ministry you have. So, so not only did they not get healed, but now they're also depressed. 
you know? Um, so that is not how Jesus treated people, and it's not how we treat people either. So that's really important that these are limitations for us to be aware of, things that can hinder, but again, we're going to deal with them in gentleness and humility, in meekness and in love. And then I love uh, healing the sick by T.L. Osborne. Are you guys familiar with T.L.? Um, he was a denominational pastor who had a physical need in his life and uh, didn't believe in healing until he needed it. My mentor used to say, you might not believe in divine healing, but if you live long enough, you'll wish you did. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened to him. He didn't believe in divine healing, but he lived long enough to wish he did. And then he got physically healed, and it radically transformed his life. He started going over to India and Africa and holding crusades for hundreds of thousands of people. And uh, just had in incredible meetings, incredible crusades. But I love his, uh, I love his teaching about um, sickness and, and being from the devil and not from God, but also how we interact with doctors and how we interact with medicine. You know, there was a time when healing evangelists believed that all medicine was evil, all doctors were evil, um, those kind of things, and, and restricted Christians from doing that. I believe we're living in a day where we get to partner um, with people that are just relieving suffering in all kinds of ways. As a matter of fact, Kat, uh, Dr. Kathleen Tajiri is here, and she's she leads our healing rooms in Vacaville, but she's also a medical doctor and uh, has some holistic insights as well. And we just love the combination of all that wisdom, with, but with a primary calling for divine healing. You know, it's, it's just really fun. But this is what T.L. said. He said, if sickness is of God, then doctors would be of the devil because they're trying to get rid of sickness. If sickness is of God, then all hospitals would be houses of rebellion rather than houses of mercy. Because in seeking to get rid of disease, they would be rebelling against God and his alleged sickness program. If sickness is of God, every nurse would be defying God with each effort to relieve suffering. If sickness is of God, we should be against hospitals, nurses, doctors, and medicine because they're all seeking to relieve and restore those who are suffering with sickness. But since sickness is of Satan, then doctors, medicines, hospitals, and medical science must be from God. Since sickness is of Satan, every manner of relieving the sickness must be ordained of God. He said, those who believe that God wants his children to suffer should never call a doctor nor recommend medical treatment to members of their churches. In doing so, they would be seeking to violate, violate God's will in their lives. Many who believe sickness is from God are ready to recommend the doctor whom they believe is best qualified to relieve suffering through medical means, whether God wants his child to suffer or not. Those who believe that sickness is a blessing should never accept medical treatment to get rid of their disease, but should rather pray that all their family and fellow church members would receive a similar blessing. <laughs> Those who believe sickness is from God are often anxious for the doctors to operate and remove the blessing, whether God wants them to have it or not. Those who believe that sickness is God's chastisement for his disobedient children should ne never recommend hospitalization, but should rather tell the sick one to receive the divine punishment until God sees fit to stop the chastisement, at which time the sickness would disappear. 
Those who believe that sickness is a blessing from God are generally the first to recommend going to the hospital for surgery or treatment in an attempt to get rid of the sickness, whether it's God's chastisement or not. Those who believe that sickness is from God should be against every means of relieving the suffering. It is not consistent to teach that sickness is from God and then to recommend medical treatment to get rid of the disease. If God wants us to suffer for his glory, then we should rather suffer than be well. If it's God's will that we be sick, then we should do nothing to interfere with God's divine will and patiently bear the sickness until it's run its course. But since sickness is of Satan, then every means of relief must be a blessing, whether it's the prayer of faith, the gift of healing for those who serve God faithfully and who believe and uh, trust his divine purposes. And then he asked this great thing. He goes, what if... We applied the same bad theology to salvation and forgiveness that we often apply to healing. Uh, the result would look something like this. Maybe it isn't God's will to forgive you. Maybe it isn't God's will to forgive you. That's why you're struggling with this sin. Okay, or how about this one? Perhaps your sin is for the glory of God. Number three, perhaps God is using this sin to teach you something. Be patient in your sin until it's God's will to save you. Or the day of conversion is past. So we could look at those five things and we could go, that's absurd. All that is terrible theology. None of us would believe that. But it's amazing how many are influenced by those same thoughts concerning healing. And again, healing is totally related to the atonement of Christ. It is totally related to the work on the cross that even Psalm 103 began to prophesy what would happen. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, forget not all his benefits, who forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. Well, we have no trouble believing that God wants to forgive all our sins. So it's in the same sentence. It's in the same language. It's in the same structure who forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. And of course, Jesus paid the price for sin and sickness upon the cross. In Matthew, it says that um, Jesus healed these people. He did these things. In fulfillment of the word of Isaiah that he bore our sicknesses and our diseases, our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by, our, by his stripes we are healed. So it was literally a fulfillment. You know, some people think that the scriptures in Isaiah are more about a spiritual metaphor of God spiritually healing us and spiritually delivering us. But Jesus in Matthew, it says specifically that he healed these people in fulfillment of the Isaiah passage that says by his stripes we are healed. So we know that it's physical healing. And again, uh, Carol has great teachings on removing these restrictions back there, but I want to share something, uh, I want to share uh, a teaching today about how to keep your healing. Um, most people in their uh, 
in in their healing ministry like they receive a healing and most people will just continue to walk in the blessing of that divine healing so we're not expecting healing to fade away or to go away or anything like that but there are cases that happen where people are instantaneously relieved of their suffering or get a significant percentage better and then they wake up the next morning and the very first thing is oh no it's back Okay, what do we do with that? How do we confront uh, situations where someone has received a healing or a measure of healing and then the next day it goes back to the way that it was before? All right, so I want to give you a couple ideas in this regard. We're going to give you kind of four keys here today. And definitely there are more, but here are a few. The first one is just to resist the devil and tell him no. Um, don't agree. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9 says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Now, notice one of the things it says... He's looking for someone to devour, resist him, standing firm in the faith. One of the things the enemy wants to devour is your faith. If he can devour your faith, he can break the access that you have to the kingdom of God. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's, it's impossible to access those things. So he's trying to devour your faith. And one of the things that we've seen in this area of divine healing is that sometimes the devil will come and counterfeit your symptoms to convince you that you are not really healed. All right? That actually demon spirits will come, they'll cause something that will look like what you had, and if you agree with it, guess what? You you get it back again, you know, that kind of thing. And it may not even be the same thing. It may be coming from an afflicting spirit or spirit of infirmity, something that has come to counterfeit the reality that has happened to you, okay? So Ephesians 6 talks about how we are to be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. In Ephesians 6, 10 to 13, put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes, and remember that he's saying that um, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, against authorities and rulers of wickedness in the high places, all these kind of things. So what is it saying? Our battle is a spiritual battle, and it says you are to take your stand against the devil's schemes. All right? For... Um, and then it says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand some more. Now, I'm not telling you to enter into denial, okay, of anything that is real, of anything that is real. Some people think that, you know, Christians are, are promoting a, a denial of truth, you know, just deny the truth and just believe something, you know, just hope in something. But actually, we understand as Christians that there are levels of truth, yeah, and that the lowest level of truth is fact. Do you realize that the lowest level of truth is fact? 
Facts are true. They're just the lowest level of true truth because they relate only to earthly possibilities. They only relate to what has existed, not what can exist, not what is possible. All right? So facts can be true, but they are the lowest level of truth. The next level of truth is revealed truth. Is revealed truth. What does God say? What does God say? Here's the facts. Those are true. But what does God say? Because it's a higher level of truth. Um, I have a whole study on this, a whole teaching on this. But if you think about it for a moment, I mean, I, I can't give it all to you right now. But even scientifically, all right, it's impossible for God to lie. And the reason is God created everything in the visible and invisible realm through the sound of his voice. So what happened is God the Father... In Genesis chapter 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But then the next part of that verse says, but the earth was formless and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. Has that ever confused anybody else before? Like, how could God create it, but it's still formless, it's still void, it's still dark, all that kind of stuff. I believe that Genesis chapter 1 is talking about God the Father creating the nuclear forces or the atomic particles that would be used, in other words, he was creating atoms that would be used for everything that would create the heavens and the earth, but he hadn't shaped them yet. You see what I'm saying? So he created everything. Like right now, I could hold a cake mix, a boxed cake mix in front of you, and I could go, I've got a cake here. Well, that would be true. I do have a cake there, all right? But it hasn't been made into a cake yet. But everything that's needed for the cake is inside the box. You see what I'm saying? So in, in Genesis chapter 1, yes, yeah, except water, thank you. In Genesis chapter 1, maybe an egg here and there. Uh, in Genesis chapter 1, God the Father made the heavens and the earth, but they were formless in the void. They, were sh they weren't shaped yet. And then verse 2, it says, and the Holy Spirit hovered over the face of the deep. The word hovered in the Hebrew is the word rikaf, which is a rapid back and forth motion. In other words, the Holy Spirit began to vibrate over the face of the deep. And the things that causes uh, atomic particles to come together is vibrations. So the Holy Spirit started vibrating over the atomic particles with gravitational forces so that they could actually come together. And then in verse 3, what happens is then the word, Jesus Christ. Now, how do we know it's Jesus Christ? Because in 1 John, it says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And all things were created through him and nothing was created that was not created through him. All right. So we know that the word, Jesus Christ, was in the beginning with God and that he was a partner in everything that was created. So what happens? God the Father creates atomic particles that will be used for everything in the universe. But he hasn't formed them yet. Holy Spirit starts energizing them because that's what he does. Holy Spirit energizes. He empowers. He enlivens. So he starts energizing the particles with vibrations so that they can come together. And then Jesus Christ speaks. And whatever he speaks, he says, let there be light. And those particles start forming light. He says, let there be trees. And they start forming trees. Let there be planets. And, he starts for and they start forming planets. Whatever he speaks, 
those particles take on the shape of whatever he has declared. All right? That's actually how the universe was created. It was created through the spoken word. So when we say that revealed truth is a higher level of truth than facts, that's what we're saying. That it's impossible for God to lie, not just because of the nature of his goodness, his holiness, his righteousness, his purity, but it's also scientifically impossible for God to lie because the moment he speaks, all the atoms in the universe are scrambling to respond to the sound of his voice. See, they were created through the voice of the Lord. As a matter of fact, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, it says that, um, that all, through him all things consist, or they have their being, or they hold together. And, of course, we know today that uh, modern physicists talk about things like string theory and super string theory, which basically say that, that beyond the atomic level, there are vibrations, tiny vibrating strands of energy that they call strings that help define the shape of matter and how things hold together. That beyond the atoms are a vibration. Well, you know what I believe that vibration is? It's the voice of the Lord. That whatever he spoke, those particles took on the shape of that form or that vibration. So they scrambled to come into alignment, into form, into shape with those things. And so the beauty of the revealed word is this. Whatever God speaks, one of the reasons it's impossible for him to lie is even if it wasn't true a millisecond ago, the moment he says it, all of the universe is scrambling to come into alignment with it. All right? That's part of the confidence we have through what the Lord is speaking, through what the Word is speaking. There's a further principle there um, called the principle of entrainment. And the principle of entrainment says this, that when two things vibrate on the same frequency, all right, then... Uh, they will, well, when two things are on the same frequency, that they will vibrate together. And um, in this principle of attrainment, it actually has huge spiritual applications. Why? Because if you are making the sound that God is making, if you are saying what he is saying, then the universe will respond to the sound of God's voice in you. And that's why scripture says, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, then you can ask whatever you will and it will be done. Why? Because if you are resonating on his frequency, all right, and his word is resonating in your heart, then whatever you speak, see what I'm saying? Whatever you ask is the representation of his voice that all molecules, all particles, all strings, all quantum, uh, you know, all things on a quantum level still respond to the shape and the sound of his voice. All right, how did we get into all that? We're talking about how the enemy wants to devour your faith. He wants to steal your faith. And so what he will often do is send a counterfeit of something you have experienced, okay? So yesterday you had pain in your side, 
And, and then all last night, it was totally gone. Like, you know, not psychosomatic, not just feeling better. It was totally gone. And you wake up in the morning and the enemy's like going, boom, 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 boom. He's jabbing you in the side. It's not the internal pain that you had before, but it's like, oh no, there's pain in my side. And what happens? You begin to come into agreement with a lie. You begin to come into an agreement with something that is not true, something that is counterfeit. Now, I'm not saying symptoms can't come back. They absolutely can. I'm just saying watch out for counterfeits. This is what the enemy does. The enemy is not a creator, but he is a counterfeiter, right? He, he takes things and he twists them and he distorts them. If we know that there are spirits of affliction, spirits of, bi- of blindness, spirits that cripple, spirits that have all these kind of things, and if we know the assignment of the enemy is to devour your faith and that he's roaming around looking for people whose faith he can destroy, then one thing we need to be aware of is how to stand our ground against counterfeits. Because again, The power of agreement goes both ways. If you agree with heaven, you release heaven. If you agree with the enemy, you release his will. You release his purposes. As a matter of fact, um, I was doing a study on Thanksgiving, and the Lord was uh, kind of speaking to my heart. He said, Dano, grumbling, murmuring, and complaining is the praise and worship of the kingdom of darkness. Grumbling, murmuring, and complaining. It's interesting that the root word for thanksgiving has the idea of splitting or dividing. In other words, thanksgiving splits open the membrane between heaven and earth. But grumbling, murmuring, complaining, the root word comes from tether or tie. In other words, grumbling, murmuring, or complaining actually ties you to your circumstance. It tethers you or ties you to your circumstances. And you watch in Israel's history, especially in the Old Testament, every time they grumbled, murmured, and, or complained, um, there was disease, there was famine, there was drought, there was uh, attacks from enemy armies. Why? Why did that happen? Well, some people say God was judging them for their complaining. You know what I say? They came into agreement with the kingdom of darkness. Now listen, God inhabits the praises of his people and so does Satan. Grumbling, murmuring, and complaining is the praise and worship of the kingdom of darkness. And the enemy inhabits it and releases his will in that situation. What is his will? To steal and to kill and destroy. What is God's will? That you might have life and life more abundantly. Alright? So what happens is, again, we need to watch our attitude that affects our altitude, right? We need to guard those things. And, And when the Lord has done something in your life, remember that thanksgiving is that connection with the throne room of heaven. We enter his gates with thanksgiving. We enter into his courts with praise. And so many times just standing in that place of thanksgiving and at least going, God, what you did last night, I know is real 
and I give you thanks for it. And I just praise your name for it. And I'm just standing on what you did in my body last night. See, you don't want to enter into the grumbling, murmuring, or complaining. And you don't want to come into any agreement with the kingdom of darkness. So I talked about the levels of truth. Lowest level of truth is fact. The next level of truth is revealed truth. And the highest level of truth is the person of Jesus Christ. That Jesus actually is the truth. He, he, not just spe- he not only speaks the truth, he's the embodiment of truth. So whatever Jesus is doing is the truth. You know? um, and that's why truth can sometimes be a little more tricky than law or principle or form. Why? Because truth ultimately is a person. All right? It's not a standard. It's not a system. Ultimately, it's a person. So truth is whatever he says. That's what confused the Pharisees so much. They were trying to reduce God to uh, a system, to a form, to a set of laws. And Jesus came along and said, you know, basically he was representing the truth. They were saying, uh, you know, it's illegal for you to pluck corn on the Sabbath. And Jesus is like, I am the Sabbath. Like, what, what are you talking about? Like, no, seriously, one of his names is Jehovah Sabbath, which is Lord of the Sabbath. It's like Jesus was the Sabbath. It's like the guys who were saying, in the resurrection, if somebody's been married seven times, who is their wife going to be, you know? And, uh, and how is this going to work? And, and, um, and, and, and Jesus was like, I am the resurrection and the life. Like, you don't get it. You're asking theological questions about whether there's a resurrection or not. And he's like, I am the resurrection. I'm the embodiment of that truth. Right now, the resurrection is standing right in front of you, you know. And uh, in the same way, remember that healing is not just something God does. Healer is who he is. That's huge. That's huge. Did you know that the basis of faith is never in what God will do? The basis of faith is always in who God is. You always focus your faith on who God is. Remember, let's go back to Hebrews again for a moment. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And then it says, for the one who comes to God must believe that he is. And that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Listen, the rewarder and the he is, those two thoughts are connected. All right? God rewards out of his nature. God rewards out of his nature. So again, when God's healing somebody, he's not actually doing something. He's just being who he is. So we never have to convince God to heal. All we have to do is be aware of the presence of Jehovah Rapha. Because he is a healer. That's why you never have to convince him to do what he is. You see what I'm saying? You never have to convince him to do what he already is. We just have to um, come into a revelation that he's going to manifest himself as healer in our midst. So, again, there is real warfare associated at times with keeping a healing. And so we want to stand when we've done all to stand, to stand some more. How do we stand? We stand with thanksgiving. We stand with praise. We stand with belief. We agree with what has happened. And use the power of testimony on yourself. (laughs) All right? Use the power of testimony on yourself, not just on others. Remind yourself 
Relive it. Enter back into that breakthrough. So what did it feel like last night? What did your breakthrough feel like last night? What did your healing feel like last night? Like, wow, there was no pain. There was nothing. I was just, wow, all my mobility was restored. Yeah, remind yourself and relive it. I love the word rejoice. The scripture says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. There's a huge difference between joy and rejoicing. All right. Joy is centered in a present encounter or present reality. But rejoicing is to call forth a former joy, a former encounter, a former reality. And the command of scripture is rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. What does that mean? You are constantly to be calling forth former joys, former encounters, former Things that release the blessing, the nature, the goodness of God, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So what's happening? I'm reliving the kingdom. It says do that all the time. Do that all the time. In other words, testify to yourself. Come on. And I like to, I like to compare this to people telling stories around the table. Like, you know, you'll get with some friends or you'll get with some family members and you start telling stories of when, you know, Uncle John fell off this or whatever. And, and, and everybody starts laughing. And, and many times it's funnier later than it was in the moment. You know, like our senior leader loves to tell a story about me in Fiji where, uh, you know, I grew up in Iowa and so I grew up a long way from the ocean and I love the ocean but like I don't know what's harmful and what's okay to touch you you know what I'm saying because I just don't know I just I didn't grow up around the ocean and it all looks a little and then our senior leader is incredibly buoyant like he's a big guy but he floats right on top of the water and like when it comes to snorkeling I'm a low rider you know what I mean like I'm barely I'm barely out of the water at all. I'm just, you know, I'm part submarine or something. So I'm, I'm really low riding. So we are snorkeling in Fiji in about 12 to 18 inches of water with coral reefs under us. And I'm not really enjoying this because, like, I love looking at this stuff, but I don't love looking at it like this. You know, he's on top of the water, so he's got a reasonable distance. I am low riding. So all the stuff is, like, going in front of my face just like this, and so I'm kind of freaking out anyway. So he thought it would be funny to reach down and grab a starfish and throw it on my back. And so he grabs this starfish and throws it, and the thing latches on my back. And, um, and I screamed like a woman. And I had flippers on my feet, you know. And he said, you... You walked on water. He goes, I swear you walked on water. He goes, you ran across the surface of the water screaming with those flippers on. And he nearly drowned. He was laughing so hard. And see, that's really funny now. We are rejoicing. See what I'm saying? And the beauty about rejoicing is this, that it can be more powerful than the joy in the moment. I mean, he got a lot of joy in that moment, but not so much for me. But now looking back on it, like I can really rejoice. I mean, it really is funny. 
It really is a funny situation. Well, you know what? That's the awesome thing. Like when we relive a testimony, when we relive an experience, when we relive an encounter, okay, it, it not only is the same, like the same possibility is there, there's something exponential about it. And I'm not talking about exaggeration. I'm talking about the joy of it, the reality of it, the blessing of it can absolutely overtake you on new levels. And so rejoicing in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, can have to do with your healing last night. You know what I'm saying? You got touched last night. Relive it. Rejoice it. Like this morning you're feeling a little stiff or a little something, you know. Relive for a moment. Just rejoice in the Lord. Just relive it. Re-encounter it. Just go, wow, God, last night was so awesome. I felt so free. I never danced like that. I never ran like that. I was able to touch my toes. You know, whatever that is, you relive it. You rejoice. You give thanks. You give praise. And that reconnects you many times with that reality. And what does it say? When you resist the devil, he'll flee. When you resist the devourer, when you resist this enemy, he will flee. And so many times it's really about resisting these counterfeit attacks. It's about reliving and and rejoicing in what the Lord has done to reconnect you with that blessing, with that atmosphere, with that encounter. Okay, And then a second thing that you can do is get more of the same. (laughs) I know this is simple, but really, people don't do this. You know what people do? They're like, oh, I, you know, I went to that healing service last night. I felt totally better. When I woke up this morning, it was all gone. Hello, if that was a pill, what would you do? You would take another one. You wouldn't go, that stuff didn't work. But did you know that's what people do with a healing service? That's exactly what they do. They are totally free throughout the night. They're just enjoying, oh, yeah, full movement, you know. And they're doing cartwheels and backflips and, you know, whatever they couldn't do before. And they're so excited. And they wake up in the morning and they're like, oh. Well, part of that's because you didn't use any of those muscles in a long time. You know what I'm saying? But the... But you don't say, it's back, that didn't work. But people do say that. They say that all the time. Oh, my healing didn't work. It didn't stick. It didn't stay. (laughs) Guys, the scripture says, be not conformed to this world. Romans chapter 12. Be not conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Let me just submit to you that any time you can't prove the will of God, you need renewal in your thinking. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what is the good, the acceptable and perfect will of God. See, many times I know what the will of God is, but for some reason I'm unable to prove it in the moment. Whenever I'm unable to prove what the will of God is, I still need some instruction. I still need some renewal. 
I still need some new way of thinking. And this is what happens. is people experience this healing virtue and for hours they're free and it feels so great. And wow, no pain after all these years. And the next morning they wake up and they're like, it's back. That didn't work. And, and they actually kind of start to, on the inside, begin to discount the value of healing prayer, of healing ministry, of da-da-da. Or they go really introspective, what's wrong with me? Or the devil's stronger than God. We get all kinds of bad ideas that empower the pain or the sickness or the disease rather than the healing. Whereas if this was a pill, and you went to a doctor... And you're like, doctor, I've had this pain or this lack of mobility or I've had this situation for 10 years. And he gives you a pill and for eight hours you feel awesome. And then it wears off. You would not say the pill didn't work. You'd say, give me more of them pills. <laughs> like, come on, doctor, give me, give me that. Give me that. You know, I want some more. I want some more. Hello? Evidently, your faith in doctors is bigger than your faith in God. Evidently, your faith in pharmaceuticals is bigger than your faith in God. Now, I'm not against doctors or pharmaceuticals. I, 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 I am not. I believe that if, if something really does relieve or cure, that it, it's rooted in God even if the people don't know it. But I will say this, that you ought to at least have the same faith towards God that you do towards a doctor or to, towards a medicine. And if you got some relief last night from having an encounter with the Lord, why don't you just go get some more? Why don't you, don't, why don't you not say, well, that didn't work or that didn't last or that didn't stick. Why don't you just get some more of what did work? Get some more of what was transformational for you. We're not saying deny your pain or only believe despite your symptoms. We're just saying take more of what worked the first time. Mark 8:24, I mean even Jesus prayed for that guy, remember the blind guy. Mark 8:24 and he looked up and said, "How is it?" He said, "I see men, but they look like trees." Jesus said, "Let's get some more." Let's get some more. He didn't say, "Oh, that didn't work. You were supposed to see people." He said, no, okay, you got, you got some of the real thing. Let's get you some more. Let's get you some more. So you see where I'm saying? We really have to work on this renewing of the mind. Because I can't tell you how many people I've met that said, oh, I experienced healing, but it didn't stay. It didn't last. It didn't. I'm like, I, I get what you mean, but I don't get what you're doing. Like, just go back and get some more. Just take some more of the same. All right? And so, I have a little saying here, follow through is the key to breakthrough. Remember Naaman in 2 Kings chapter 5, who was a leper, and he said, go wash in the Jordan seven times. And the first time, nothing happened. Second time, nothing. Fourth time, fifth time, sixth time, nothing happened. What if he had stopped short going, this isn't working. This isn't doing anything. I'm not being changed. I'm not feeling anything. The Lord said seven times, and many times follow-through is the key to your breakthrough. One of the reasons healing rooms were established is because some of these great healers of old were looking for an opportunity. They were saying, 
I've read these books, I've done this research, and they were saying, what if we could get people in an atmosphere of faith? What if we could get them in an atmosphere of glory? What if we could pull them out of their routine of unbelief and get them in an atmosphere where they could just keep being soaked until their breakthrough was complete? That's actually why they started Healing Rooms is out of a desire for people to get more of what they were receiving. You know, um, I was up on the North Coast one time and a guy came in with Parkinson's disease. And uh, and he was a past, He had been a pastor for many years. He was in his seventies, and and he was so debilitated that he was actually on like a, a stretcher, and um, and he couldn't move uh, any of his limbs. Or and he came in. We prayed for him the first night, and uh, and all of a sudden he was able to sit up. And the next night he came back to the meeting, and instead of a stretcher, he's in a wheelchair. And uh, and we pray for him again. And, and he starts getting uh, mobility in his hands and in his feet. And the next night he comes in and he's wheeling the wheelchair. All right? And uh, each night that he was coming, it was only a three-night meeting, but each night he was coming, he was getting more breakthrough, more breakthrough, more breakthrough. Many times this is how it works, from glory to glory, from faith to faith. It's a saturation. It's a buildup of faith. It's a buildup of anointing. It's a, it's, it's a breaking through. And again... What I'm, I, I just said to that man, it, just keep in this atmosphere. Like, I have to go. But just keep in this atmosphere. Get around some people of faith, you know, and, and keep receiving prayer. Because look at, look at the progress we've made in three days. And I'm just saying the same thing. I told you the story uh, yesterday about the, uh, about the working of miracles with Heather in Ohio who had had her face chopped off in the accident. And I said, put your hand on your faith and prophesy. Say, muscles come, tissues come, bones come in the name of Jesus. And, and for the first time, her mouth begins to turn and there's a little bit of a smile. Why? Because her muscles started expanding from here to there. And the next day, she sends me the after picture of a total smile, ear-to-ear smile, totally healed, of going from glory to glory and faith to faith. She didn't get home and go, you know, well, that, you know, I only got this much. No, 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 she got more of the same. She kept getting into that glory, kept getting into that breakthrough. And see, people don't do that. People don't do that. People don't have confidence in how the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable and how the anointing remains. See, I love these verses. In 1 John 2, 27, it says, As for you, the anointing you receive from Him remains in you. And you don't need anyone to teach you, but, uh, but the anointing teaches you all things. And that anointing is real and it's not counterfeit. Just as it is taught you, remain in Him. This is 1 John 2, 27. And, uh, and this verse, I think, has so many powerful truths in it about your anointing. Let me just say, the anointing you have received remains. Remains. The anointing you have received remains. Some people think the re- anointing comes and goes or the anointing fluctuates. No, no, no. Your awareness of it or your sensitivity to it can fluctuate. But the scripture says, the anointing you receive from the Holy One remains in you. 
right? It remains in you. And then what else does it teach us? It says the anointing will teach you how to live, all right? The anointing will teach you all things. And part of what you have to learn is you have to learn how to live healed. You really do. Sickness trains you, all right? If you, if you have had a bad back for many years, did you know that your pain has trained you in how to get out of bed? Because you don't sit up out of bed. You kind of roll over onto your feet and all those kind of things. Your sickness has actually trained your behavior. You have to let the anointing retrain your behavior. You have to get up expecting to be healed. You have to get up and expect no pain. Why? Because your expectation is a manifestation of your faith or agreement. All right? So, because your body has been trained in pain and sickness, if you wake up and your first thought in the morning is, I need to be careful getting out of bed here, then you've come into agreement with the pain and the sickness, not with the healing and the breakthrough. You see what I'm saying? You have to be renewed in your mindset. And it says here, the Holy Spirit, the anointing is going to teach you. It's going to teach you how to do this, but you have to yield to it. You have to give yourself to it. Teach me how to live healed. <laughs> teach me new habits uh, in the body and the mind to be trained how to live in healing and anointing. And then it says the anointing that is on you is real and not counterfeit. See, all this is in that one verse. It's so powerful. And again, what many people think, I think the media has so trained us to people that were fakes and people that were phonies in religion, people that stole money, people that got into immorality, people that were using headsets for, you know, for miracles or something like that. You know, we've so been training that we watch movies about fake, you know, uh, disciples, apostles, whatever, you know, those kind of things that, that you're trained sometimes to be skeptical, to be suspicious, to be cynical. And I'm not saying be unwise. The scripture says, test everything and hold on to that which is good. It says, test the spirits. There are fakes out there. There are people that are not doing things for the right motives. But I will say this, God is true and his anointing is true. And the anointing you receive from him, it says it's real, not counterfeit. It's real, not counterfeit. So don't let your mind go there. Don't let your, oh, that wasn't real. Oh, that was, you know, that was just the moment. I must have just been excited. Well, get excited again because it worked. <laughs> you know? So the anointing is real and not counterfeit. And then I love that this last part of the verse, it says... Just as it has taught you, remain in Him. In other words, one of the main things the anointing of the Holy Spirit wants to teach you to do is how to abide, how to abide in Him, how to remain in Him, how to stay with an awareness of the presence of the Lord. Guys, the, I believe probably one of the greatest secrets of successful kingdom life is learning to abide in Him. Learning to develop an awareness and a sensitivity to the presence of the Lord. And you know what? Your anointing does all that. Your anointing remains. You got the real one, not a fake one. You don't have a counterfeit anointing. It's the real deal. And, and the anointing is going to teach you how to um, remain in him. And it's going to teach you all kinds of things. It's going to teach you how to live healed. It's going to teach you how to access your anointing and how to step into those things. So you're going to 
you're just going to increase this awareness and sensitivity of the Holy Spirit. So all this we're saying, focus on, um, uh, get some more. Get some more of what you had, okay? Because the gifts and calling are irrevocable and the anointing remains. And you got the real thing, baby. It's not, it's not fake. It's not counterfeit. We're not playing games. This is my life. And I'm not here to play games with you. I'm not here to manipulate you. I'm not here... Listen, I'm way too significance-driven to play games. I just got to tell you. Like, that just would not work for me. You know? And so we're not here to play games with your mind. We're not here to create some kind of psychosomatic deception. We are here to manifest the kingdom of God that is real and not counterfeit. And we're here to make our reality bend to the reality of His Word. And, um, and, and so stay in that place. Stay in that place. Let your mind be renewed. All right, here's the third thing. Focus on what has happened, not on the things you have not yet received or has not yet happened. Philippians 4, 6 to 8 says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Remember, thanksgiving's a key. Present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Okay, that's the first part. We're going to get into the next part in just a moment here. But I do want to say something about letting the peace that transcends understanding guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. All right? We are way too intoxicated with trying to figure things out. All right? And I hope you know that your brain actually doesn't figure anything out. All right? It's really important that you know that. The function of the mind, the mind is like a computer that stores data. It does not actually solve equations. Okay? It just merely stores the data for solving equations. That's why the scripture speaks of it as the spirit of understanding, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of knowledge. Why? Because those things happen on a spirit level, not on a mind level. That's why you lay in bed trying to figure out a solution or an answer and you never get one. It's like putting the pie equation into a computer. It just cycles over and over and over and over and over again. And that's what many of your minds do at night because you have the wrong entity on the job. You've got your mind trying to come up with solutions. That's not where solutions come from. Solutions come from the spirit of understanding, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of counsel, all right? And then your brain just takes credit for it. (laughs) But see, your spirit feeds information to your brain um, for processing, for analyzing, for uh, moving forward. But all understanding, all revelation, all knowledge, all insight, all counsel actually comes from the spirit of God. So it comes from your spirit. That's why your brain will cycle at night. Okay? Because you're allowing it to try and solve equations, and it can't do that. It can only store information. You you see what I'm saying? But your spirit can get answers. And so you've got to get out of your mind. Come on. I'm encouraging you to be out of your mind. I'm telling you, it's a good place to be. Get out of your mind and get into your spirit. People come to me sometimes. You guys are out of your mind. I'm like, thanks for noticing. I worked hard at that. 
I am absolutely out of my mind. Why? Because my mind is meant to be my servant, not my master. Okay? It's meant to be my servant, not my master. All right? Those who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. And your spirit is capable of the genius of God. Your spirit is capable of accessing the most brilliant uh, information in the universe. Creativity, insight, wisdom. All those things are by the spirit, not by the brain. Not by the brain. Okay, so what am I saying here? When you don't have understanding, immediately move into peace, not anxiety. You've got to train yourself in this, okay? But when you don't have understanding, drop the pursuit for a moment and enter into peace. Why? Because peace is a manifestation of the Spirit, and the Spirit's where you're going to get understanding. But the peace is better than the understanding anyway. But what normally happens is through worry and anxiety, you try to solve these things with your mind. And then you make the list. Everything positive, everything negative. How many? Do I have more positives than negative? What are the potential outcomes? And is that really helpful? Have you really ever made a good decision that way? No, no, no. Let the spirit of wisdom, let the spirit of understanding, let the spirit of counsel. And how do I access that? Through peace. Through peace. All right? So let the peace that passes understanding guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So you wake up and you're like, whoa, what's going on here? Peace. Step into peace. Not fear, not anxiety, not worry. Come on, don't get that runaway train of, oh no, it's back. Ah, and now nay, I'm going to die. And do, do, do. I mean, people, what is the deal with the disaster movies that play in the theater of your mind? Come on. Come on, get into the peace of God and let it guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And then look at, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything's excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. How do you set your mind on things above rather than earthly things? By doing this. Whatever's pure, true, noble, admirable admirable, praiseworthy, virtuous, any of those things, set your mind on that. Set your mind on that. Okay? So, again, what are we saying? Focus on what has happened, not on what hasn't happened. All right? So we're focusing. Wow, I got some breakthrough last night. Thank you, Lord. I'm focusing on that. I got some breakthrough yesterday. I'm focusing on that. I give you thanks. I'm staying in peace, not fear, anxiety, worry, who I'm just going to stay in the peace of God that guards my heart and mind. I'm focusing on what is true. Did you realize that one of the tactics of the enemy when you don't know something is if you will focus on the pieces you don't know, then you will create an atmosphere of unclarity where even the things you do know become questioned. And this is a tactic of the enemy. If you focus on the things you don't know, then even the things you do know become unclear. Why? Because your focus determines your atmosphere. So if I focus on the things I'm not unclear on, then everything becomes unclear. And you know what? Things you know about God, you begin to doubt. You begin to question. Why? Because you're focusing on questions rather than on answers. 
Because you're focusing on things that aren't praiseworthy or true or virtuous or noble or admirable. And when you focus on those things, you create an atmosphere that makes everything that look that way. But when you focus on the things that are good and true and admirable and praiseworthy, what happens? Then you have an atmosphere of clarity for addressing the things you don't yet know or understand. And so, guys, you've got to establish. You need to realize that you're the star of your own reality show. And, and, and I'm not talking about, you know, some kind of existentialism where, you know, there's no absolutes and we're just creating. But I am saying this, that you have enough control over you that you create the atmosphere around you uh, that you carry within you. And so if you focus on unclarity, you actually create a cloud of unclarity around you. And what happens, you begin to question things you know are true, you know are right. But if you focus on the parts you do know, Okay, I don't know this. I don't understand this, but I know this. I know this. And I focus on this and I set my mind on it. Then what happens? I start creating an atmosphere of clarity that gives me revelation, wisdom, and understanding for dealing with those pieces I don't know. Okay? So again, focus on what has happened. Do you realize God does this? God only focuses on the good stuff. If you don't believe it, look at how he recounts the people in Hebrews 11. He talks about Abraham. He goes like, Abraham never doubted one moment. And you're like, I don't remember it that way, Lord. Like, I'm just kind of seeing the whole Ishmael thing and, you know, a billion Arabs today that don't know you, you know, sons of Ishmael. It's like, I kind of see that different, like that never doubted thing. But you know what? God focuses on whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is virtuous. He's like, no, this guy's amazing. I got to tell you this story real, real quickly because um, there is a, there's a concept called your reticular activator. Your reticular activator is this, that your eyes, that's the reticular part, are sensitized to whatever you have like a frame of reference for or a context for. That's your reticular activator. So it works like this. One of the classic examples is, you know, you buy a white Mercedes because you're going, wow, I really love this car and nobody else has this one, this style. And what happens? You drive it off the lot and see nine of them on the way home. And you pull in to your driveway and your neighbor has one. How come you didn't see it before? Because your eye was not focused upon it. Now you have a reticular activator. You have a visual context for something that causes you to see differently. All right? That's called your reticular activator. Did you know that God has no reticular activator for sin or failure? Because he's never done it. How does God forget sin? He doesn't remember it or relate to it in the first place. Because he's never done it. Like he's seen it. But he's never experienced it. He's never, like, so failure, sin, all those things, it's really easy for God to forget. See, if I started, I, I'm a musician, and if I started talking about my, uh, you know, my Digio 2, you know, and my, you know, DBX 385 and things like that, if you're, if you're a, a record producer, you're going to be like, really cool. And everybody else is going to go, I have... They're going to go, I have no idea even what you're talking about. And if we asked you 30 seconds later, what was Dan no talking about? I have no idea. That's what God is with sin. 
with failure. With He doesn't have a reticular activator for it. So I was talking about this concept at one of our schools of the supernatural. And this girl comes up to me all excited. And she goes, that explains my dream. That explains my dream. And I go, what was your dream? And she said, well, I dreamed that I went up to heaven. And there were all these books everywhere. And I said, what are these books? And an angel said, these are the books of life. And, and the angel then says, do you want to see yours? And, uh, and she goes, yeah. And so she opens this book. He hands her a book. She opens the book. She starts reading about every noble, praiseworthy, virtuous thing she's ever done throughout her whole life, even before she was saved. And she's like, this is amazing, but it's not accurate. She said this to the angel. There's a bunch of other things I did that aren't in this book. And she said, the angel looked at me all confused and went, well, this is the book of life. It only contains whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is praiseworthy, because all the rest represents relates to your death, not to your life. The book of life is your highlight reel of every great moment you've ever had in God. Every virtuous, praiseworthy, admirable thing you've ever done or thought is recorded in that book of life because all those things relate to your life. And the rest is just all about the dead man who died with Christ. <laughs> So God does this. He doesn't just ask you to do this. He does this. He focuses on what is true, what is praiseworthy, what is virtuous, what is noble, what is admirable. And see, you do the same thing. You always focus on what has happened. You know, that's per, part of our prayer model and praying for others as well. Is that, you know, when you pray for someone, you go, is there any change? And they go, oh, I, yeah, I think there's 5%. You don't go only 5%. You go, 5%? Yeah! Praise the Lord, something's happening. Something's changing. Or you're praying for someone and they're like, the pain hasn't gone, but I feel fire. You're like, fire! I mean, you don't have to be, you don't have to be loud and obnoxious and demonstrative. That's just my personality. But, but you do focus on what has happened, not on what hasn't happened. Okay? So uh, a Presbyterian youth pastor uh, his wife was 80% deaf her whole life and uh, laid hands on her. And th this particular church didn't really even believe in miracles. But I laid hands on her and, she, and I said, is there any change? She goes, no, but my ears are really hot. And I'm like, hot is good. That's good, you know. And, and just blessed that and sent her home, you know. And the next day she woke up and she said, uh, she testified the next day. She said, I woke up and heard a sound I'd never heard before. She said, it was my watch ticking. And she said, when I went outside, I heard another sound I'd never heard before, the wind blowing. I could hear it against my ears. But she said, the part that touched me the most, she said, was my, my daughter comes up to me every night or every morning. She said, my daughter comes up to me, kisses me on the neck and whispers something in my ear. And she said, I've never heard what she said. And she said, this morning when I woke up, my daughter runs in, kisses me on the neck. And I hear, I love you, mommy. For the first time, and I'm like, yeah. Now, what if that night we had said, oh, no change. No change. Sorry. 
We'll try again. Come again another time. But we're like, no, fire is good. God is moving. God's doing something. Even though there was no change in her hearing whatsoever, we blessed what God is doing. Why? Because you focus on whatever is true, noble, praiseworthy, virtuous. That's how you get, you know, a write-up in the book of life there. So, focus on what has happened. The final thing is this. Align yourself in lifestyle. Okay? There are times when you need to support your healing with your lifestyle. Okay? Like people, I mean, let's do a really obvious one. Like people who have emphysema that smoke. No, let's just be honest. Like, I'll pray for you to be healed. I'm not judging you. I'm not saying that that behavior can keep you from being healed, but it could keep you from staying healed. And that wasn't God. That was you. Yes? Are you tracking with me? Okay? So there are adjustments you need to make in your lifestyle from time to time to be in keeping with your healing. All right? Like, when the Lord healed my knees, I knew that I also had to just, you know, I I had to start jogging again and using my knees so that they wouldn't atrophy, right? Because if my knees atrophy from lack of use, that's not losing my healing. That's the spirit of stupid. You you, you know what I'm saying? Like, you want to follow through with your healing in your lifestyle, and again, to live in your healing, to live in your breakthrough, sometimes requires a change in your lifestyle. It may require a change in your behavior. And I think really this is the essence of what Jesus was saying to uh, the man in John 5, uh, 5 through 16. Uh, one who, was, who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in that condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? You know what? It's a good question. Um, I won't go into that. It's too long. But uh, sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me uh, into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. And the day which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath and the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is that fellow who told you to pick pick it up and walk? And the man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Verse 14, Later Jesus found him at the temple, and he said to him, See, you are made well again. Now stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. Um, And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Okay, in my opinion, that was the something worse. You know what I'm saying? He went away and told the Jews, oh, it was, it was Jesus who did that. Um, in other words, he basically sold out his healing. I'm not saying that he wasn't healed anymore, but he sold out Jesus. He knew why the, he knew why the Pharisees were looking for him. You know what I'm saying? This was not a testimony. This was a betrayal, in my opinion. But, uh, but in the same way, Jesus said to him, the words he said to him, see, you're well again, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And we're not talking about, you know, 
just sin issues where you get healed. Oh, a sin caused it. If you don't stop sinning, it's going to come back. But we are talking about life choices as well. Um, what you are choosing, how you're choosing to live and how you're choosing. Honestly, let's just, let's just be honest, Christians. How we eat, you know. The dues are about divine healing, but they also have one of the most regimented, you know, what they eat and what they don't eat of anybody I've ever seen. Why? Because they believe in divine health, not just divine healing. You know? And so something can set you free, but if you don't follow through with your breakthrough, then many times your breakthrough doesn't actually become your lifestyle. It just becomes a point on your timeline an event, an encounter that's not sustainable. And so again, you, you just ask the Lord, Lord, is there anything I need to do to reinforce this healing, you know, to keep walking in health, to keep walking in life? Are there adjustments I need to make in my lifestyle? And I know that we all, you know, we're all kind of like, ah, yeah, well, there is responsibility and accountability in the kingdom of God. And there's also the fruit of self-control. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. I want joy. I want love. But I don't want patience or self-control. Because <laughs> then I might actually have to be accountable for my behavior and my attitudes and da-da-da-da-da. Okay? Listen, the fruit of the Spirit is not a buffet that you choose from. So why don't you just eat a little of the fruit of self-control and reinforce your healing with a really smart choice. Ha, ha, ha. All right. So I'm glad I don't really need your affirmation today. With that being the final point, some of you are mad at me. But it's okay because my father loves me. And I love you, but let's just say that there is, there is something to keeping your healing. There is. And many times you go home from a healing encounter and you never have that again. You never have that again. But there are times, too, where there seems to be a change in your circumstances. First, make sure it's not a counterfeit. First, make sure it's not just the devil messing with you. Take your stand, give thanks, rejoice. All right? Do that first. And then secondly, if there is a reduction in your blessing, in your healing, in your mobility, it's not the devil, it's real, you know, that kind of thing, then go get some more of what you got. Don't say it didn't work. Go get some more. Go, go get in that atmosphere again. Go get another encounter. Go get another dose. There's nothing wrong with that. And don't doubt what has happened. Actually focus on what happen, has happened. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is praiseworthy, focus on it. Why? Because the anointing's real. It's not counterfeit. The anointing remains. The anointing's going to teach you how to remain, how to stay in Him, how to stay in that place of breakthrough, how to stay in that place of blessing. And then we focus on what has happened. We give thanks, virtuous truth, all those kind of things. And then we ask, hey, is there any way I need to reinforce this healing, this breakthrough? in my life? Is there any area I need to take accountability for and step into? So, praise the Lord. Yeah, yeah. I think those things can be helpful sometimes. Ah.
I just feel like even before physical healing, I'm going to, uh, we're, we're going to end here in just a minute. And uh, I think when we come back, Bill's session is going to be real heavy impartations kind of stuff you said. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so we're going to get into, <laughs> so we're going to get into, uh, you know, some impartation and healing in the next session. But I just feel like I want to deal with that renewed mindset for a moment. Um, I, I just want to go after that with, with some people. And um, how many of you have experienced a situation where you encountered a level of healing and then later or the next day or the next month or something, you experienced a decrease that then challenged your faith in the original encounter or got you discouraged, got you frustrated, something like that? Uh, how many of you had an experience like that. Just raise your hand real high for a moment. Okay. Yeah, awesome. All right, so let's just see for a moment if there's any cleanup we need to do from that. Okay? Is there any cleanup we need to do? So just shut yourself in with the Lord for a minute and just see if there's anything um, anything you need to do with that. Like, you know, did you rail at God? Did you doubt your healing did you doubt your breakthrough from what you've learned today all right maybe you didn't know you know maybe you didn't know and um these things that we shared today but is there any any cleanup you need to do today any cleanup of unbelief any cleanup of suspicion or cynicism or um, becoming cynical or becoming hardened even against healing or against hope of you being healed is there any cleanup like that that you need to do today from that particular experience so what might that cleanup look like well you could just go to the lord and say god i believe that what happened in that moment was real it was true like the encounter i had the freedom i had the change i had the measure of improvement i believe it and i thank you for it i thank you for it Lord, forgive me for doubting. Forgive me for unbelief or for questioning. Lord, for uh, hope deferred of allowing my heart to kind of get sick and hopeless in a way towards healing or towards breakthrough or towards a sustained breakthrough, sustained healing. If there's anything like that, just clean it up. If there's any doubt you had towards the person who ministered to you, just clean that up like Lord, I know the anointing's real and not counterfeit, and I just bless them, and I don't speak evil of them or their ministry or their, you know, intentions or anything like that. Lord, whatever's good and pure and noble, praiseworthy, virtuous, admirable, I'm focusing on those things. I'm choosing to set my mind on the things above. So, Father, forgive me for anywhere that I have stepped into unbelief or stepped into despair or stepped into discouragement. I come out of that through repentance and confession and through the renewing of my mind. And I embrace these truths today that I'm going from glory to glory with ever-increasing glory, that I'm growing all the time in my faith and I'm even growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I thank you for that. And, Lord, I rejoice in what you have done. And I focus on it with my whole heart, my whole mind. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. 
Thank you, Lord. Now just take one more moment and do this. Just relive your moment of breakthrough. Just relive the measure of breakthrough that you did have. Wow, I remember that. It felt so much better. Wow, I could move so much farther. Lord, thank you for that. I just focus on that and I rejoice. Come on. You're not just recycling. You're reliving. You're re-enjoying. You're re-encountering. Testify to yourself, not just to others. Why so downcast, oh my soul? Put your hope in God. Put your trust in God. I'm convinced that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I'm convinced that today is the day of salvation, of complete healing, deliverance, and the fullness of life that Christ died for. Yeah, I believe, Lord. And I re-encounter, I re-encounter that place right now through faith, through remembrance, through testimony. And I rejoice in you, Lord. I rejoice in you at all times. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, yeah. There it is. Show. That's it. Some of you may just have had a miracle in your body as well, just by reliving, just by rejoicing, just by re-encountering. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Father. And I thank you, God, that you are not just an author. You are a finisher. And we focus on you today that, Lord, even before this night is over, that we would see you high and lifted up as not only the author of every miracle, but the finisher, Lord, as well. Ha, ha, ha. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you guys.